you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 5. That's where we're going to be tonight. Any uh, graphic designers, mar marketing majors out there tonight? Anyone work in marketing? So if, if you work in marketing, you work in graphic design, you know how challenging it is to create a good logo. It's hard. Because the best logo instantly reminds the person who sees it of the thing it represents. And to prove this to you, I'm going to show a couple logos up on the screen. And, and we're going to work together to identify what this logo represents. We'll start kind of easy, and then we'll get a little bit harder. Golden Archers, McDonald's, right? Easy. We recognize that in an instant. What's next, Alex? A little bit harder. This is an old school logo of the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, old school. Kind of weird. How about this? Hey, nice job. How about this one? Highland Community Church. That's our church, if you didn't know that, by the way. There's Woody. I call them the Wisconsin Woodchucks, but apparently now they're the Wausau Woodchucks. That just doesn't have the same ring to it, but that's fine. This might be the hardest. This is our last one. Anybody know what this is? This is the coffee roaster that we use at our coffee bar. This is uh, Bella Goose Coffee, which is a great organization. So those are our logos. Remember, a good logo instantly reminds us what it represents. Something that's visible, tangible, represents something that is invisible. And the Bible is filled with symbols, isn't it? Where one thing stands in place of another that we can't see, that we can't understand. And in the words of one of the most iconic movies ever made, marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. So that's where we are in Ephesians 5 tonight. If you, uh, if, if you don't know that movie, you must be under the age of 25. So, <laughs> or 30, I don't know. Princess Bride? Who, who has not seen The Princess Bride? Oh, okay. Oh. It's, it's not a Christmas movie, but maybe you should put it on your list. Ephesians 5. Tonight we're talking all about marriage, where Paul unla unlocks uh, one of the timeless symbols of, uh, of scripture. Now, before I walk through the text, just a couple of dis disclaimers. Um, some of you are getting sick of listening to me talk for 40 minutes. So if that's you, you're in luck. I'm only talking for 20 minutes tonight. And I'm going to be joined on stage by a group of three couples um, that are going to help us apply the text. So I'm going to talk about what the text means. They're going to help us apply maybe what it means uh, to our life, how we can live it out. Then now what? But I know as soon as I, I say the word marriage, or if you saw our Facebook or Instagram post and you read through the text, 75% of you said, I'm not married, so why should I come tonight? And there were a couple of you who shall remain nameless, Brian <clears throat> Niemeyer, who said, why should, I'm not married, why should I come tonight? Um, so if that's you, just a couple things. Uh, first, when Paul wrote the text in Ephesians 5, he did not say, now if you're not married, plug your ears. I don't want you to read this. That's not what he said. This text is for all of us because it doesn't just provide a prescription into marriage. It goes the other way. That Paul uses marriage as a symbol of something deeper, of helping us unpack a timeless theological truth. But maybe on a more practical or pragmatic level, uh, if you are not married, none of you who are unmarried could look at me with 100% confidence and say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I will never be married between now and the day that I die. None of you could say that to me. And now might be the best time for you to prepare for what could be coming down the road. So the wise person says, I'm going to prepare now for maybe what God has in store for me down the road. Now, I also know when I open up to Ephesians 5, there's a group of you that I instantly polarized. Some of you walked in the door tonight and you would say, I subscribe to egalitarianism. And you know Highland's complementarian. You're confident that I'm complementarian. And you know that I'm probably not going to take the stance that you have on the text, so you're tempted just to check out and not listen. Now, there's another group of you that walked in the door and said, well, I know I'm a, I'm a committed complementarian. 
and you're excited to hear uh, complementary and defense of a text to reinforce your position. And then there's another group of you that are asking, what in the world does egalitarian and complementarian mean? <laughs> Anybody want to admit that? I just want to say, feel blessed. It's way better not to know what those words mean. <laughs> yeah. But if you do know what those words mean, uh, they just talk a little bit about a, a biblical distinction between the roles of men and women in the church and in the family. And whether you're egalitarian, whether you're complementarian, or whether you really don't know what I'm talking about, I have a request. I want each of us tonight to lay aside our theological framework that we might be tempted to read this text with. When we use the Bible as a proof text to reinforce our position, we are radically diminishing what God intended Scripture to be. That if we just make the Bible something that proves a position we already hold, if that's the only reason we go to the text, we miss the force from the trees. And that's Ephesians 5. If we only go to Ephesians 5 to, to reinforce our theological position on men's and women's roles, we miss the most beautiful part of the passage. So I want you to lay aside that theological framework tonight, and I just want us to ask, what does the text have to say to me? Not, what does the text have to say to my spouse? Or, what does the text have to say to my parents' marriage, or my boss's marriage, or my friend's marriage? No, what does the text have to say to me? And that's the question I want each of us to ask tonight. So, if you're in Ephesians 5, I want to start just by reading verse 21. It says this, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you are with us last week, that was the last verse in a passage that we looked at about lights on living, of living, light, living life with the light of Christ in and through our hearts. Paul reminded us that part of being in this family is that we submit to one another. Now, if you read this in the original text, or if you would have heard this read aloud, there were no chapter divisions, there are no subheadings. If you're reading out of the ESV like I am, there's a division between verse 21 and verse 22. But as you notice pretty quickly, Paul uses the same word in verse 21, submit, and right away in verse 22. See, instead of dividing that section, they would have flowed nicely together. Reminds us that within the family, there's mutual submission. Before a man and a woman get married, they are first related, they're first brother and sister in Christ. And Paul says there's mutual submission to one another in the family. This teaches me that even within a marriage, there's mutual submission. But I believe Paul outlines one spouse has a higher call in one area than the other. So don't forget verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then look at verse 22. He says this, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, let me pause there. The word that probably bounces around in your mind after those first three verses is the word, what? Submit. Paul uses it over and over again. And in 2023, that's not what we'd call a positive word, is it? Within our culture, it, it definitely has a demeaning, maybe even a chauvinistic flair to it. And that has to do more with the person being submitted to than the one doing the submitting and for this text to make sense to us, we need to look at Paul's expectations, both for the husband and the wife. Though he starts with expectations for the wife, he spends twice as many words on his expectations for the husband. And I'm not quite sure who has the easier or harder expectation. That's for you to decide, though. Frankly, I'm not quite sure that it matters. Now, if we look at verse uh, 23, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The passage some would say hinges on the word head. It's the Greek word kephale. It's an important word. Literally, it's translated as head, but throughout the New Testament, it has two main, uh, main meanings. One would be authority or ruler, and the other would be source. Now, depending on how you interpret the word kephale, will determine in some ways how you see the passage. 
Um, and many scholars would disagree. Actually, uh, Paul uses kephale in both senses in Ephesians. In one spot, he means authority, ruler, and in another spot, he means source. So which is it? Well, in my opinion, as I'm reading through the text, the authority makes the most sense of the context. Paul's talking about household codes, and those really only make sense with the authority, with the ruler reading of the word kephale. But here's what Paul's not saying. Paul is not saying that men are better than women. Paul is not saying that men have higher value than women. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you don't have to turn there, but that's actually Paul's longest section on marriage throughout the entire New Testament. Paul's obvious. Men and women are created equal. They have equal value before their creator. Yet Paul reminds us in Ephesians 5 that men and women, though they're created equal, there's some distinctions in their roles as it relates to marriage. That's what Paul's saying. But men and women are created equal. And that reinforces Jesus' treatment of both women and men in the Gospels. Jesus had a a view, uh, even a relationship with women in his ministry that was radical compared to the Pharisees. Even, remember the disciples in John 4? Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and even they come back and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is not, this isn't okay. Jesus affirms men and women created equal. Yet in Ephesians 5, Paul reminds us that there might be some distinctions in their roles within marriage. But the equality of men and women, does that sound radical to us? Not in 2023. But if you go back to Roman culture in the first century to say men and women are equal in their value would have been completely countercultural. See, in Paul's context, this isn't a good thing. This is a bad thing. That men were here, women were here. Women were second class compared to men. And Paul completely, Jesus completely flips the paradigm and declares the equality and their inequality of both men and women. So Ephesians 5, Paul's not talking about a positional authority. He's ta- rather, he's talking about, a, let's try that again. Paul's talking about positional authority. He's not talking about intrinsic value. So within marriage, the husband is the, the leader. The wife willingly places herself under the leadership of the husband. And in our text, that's a key distinction. This is not a forced submission. This is a willing submission. And our panel tonight will help us understand what that leadership, what that submission looks like practically in marriage. But let me make one quick note in verse 24. Maybe you heard this. Wives should submit in everything to their husbands. It's an interesting phrase. In everything, it's not unqualified. It can't mean literally everything. Think of Acts 5, 29. Peter's talking before the council, and he reminds us that our highest allegiance is to the Lord that if anyone who's an authority over us, whether that's a boss, whether that's a parent, whoever it might be, if they compel us or command us to do anything that is contrary to God's word, what do we do? We disobey. So what Paul's saying is that the wives submit to their husbands according to the will of God, as long as it aligns to God's will and God's desire. But for Paul's audience, after hearing the word kephale, It would have been a metaphor, it would have been imagery that they would have known. Head. For Paul's audience, the body was subservient to the head. The body would lay down its life for the head. So for the church at Ephesus, I had imagined, that's where they were expecting Paul to go as he continued in verse 25. Keep reading with me. Instead, this is what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, 
And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, there is far too much in those verses for us to unpack tonight, so I just want to make a couple of observations. You notice that Paul completely inverts the head metaphor. Instead of the body laying its life down for the head, it's the head, the leader, Jesus, who lays down his life for the church. Yes, the husband in the marriage relationship is the leader, but he's also the lead servant and the lead sacrificer. See, throughout history, those with power and with authority have often abused their power and their strength for their own benefit. And that's certainly been true in the context of marriage. Ungodly husbands have abused their power, inflicting incredible damage on their marriages and on their families. And some of you have suffered because of the abuse of power within a marriage. Maybe that's a husband, a father, a grandfather. And if that's you, I'm so sorry, because that is not the way it's designed to be. The gospel of Jesus is one of total power reversals. Jesus, who had all power, all authority, all strength. He willingly laid aside access to his divinity to walk in our shoes, not just experiencing life like us, but dying in a humiliating and painful way on the cross. Paul sets the bar for the husband in the highest possible way. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a high bar. Married men, if that doesn't make us tremble, then you didn't hear the text. Love your wife like Jesus has loved you. You know, when I look in the mirror, that's not always what I see. And this text reminds me how often I fail to meet this bar. But within this text, Paul, he unpacks this metaphor. He unpacks this, this picture, what you and I might call the bride of Christ. Ever heard that phrase before? He says, Jesus died for us that he might sanctify us, cleansing us by the washing of water with the word, with the goal of presenting us holy and without blemish. See that washing analogy? That doesn't make any sense to us, but it certainly would have made sense to Paul's audience. This is really cool. In Paul's day, when a, when a woman would get married to her husband, before the ceremony, she would go through the ceremonial bath. And it, it was a picture of leaving behind her old way of life, cleansing, and starting fresh with her husband. That's the analogy Paul brings into this text. He's describing our relationship with Christ, that when we become a Christian through the cross, Jesus washes us, he cleanses us, and we start over. We get a clean slate, don't we? That's the picture. It's a picture of what Jesus does for us at the moment of our salvation. And this is highly symbolic. Paul's tying the bride imagery, even the washing imagery, into Ezekiel chapter 16. That'd be a really good thing to write down on your handout tonight. We're not going to have time to unpack Ezekiel 16. That is, um, that's a wild chapter in the Old Testament. And that would be a great thing to read this week. I'm convinced that Paul has Ezekiel 16 in mind, even when he writes Ephesians 5. Do some biblical theology, read Ezekiel 16 this week. But the bridal bath, there was a picture of the wife leaving behind her old way of life and starting fresh with her husband. The same thing that happens to us when we begin our relationship with Christ. Because Jesus has cleansed us, if you know Christ, through his spirit. And at our conversion, we begin an eternal relationship with Christ. So, if you know Jesus, you are the bride of Christ. In the new heavens and the new earth, the giant meal that we will share together, Revelation 19, is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what you and I would call that? A wedding reception. This giant feast, this giant celebration, it's not just a wedding reception, it's our wedding reception when we're united to Christ for all of eternity. See, if you're married tonight, you're not going to be married to your spouse for all of eternity. But you'll be married to Jesus for all of eternity. Does that make you uncomfortable? It might, and that's okay. Because Paul's trying to unpack 
and explain the closeness, the realness of our relationship with Christ. Even the phrase that we might use a, a personal relationship with Jesus, that doesn't even come close to describe the type of nearness that Paul envisions in this text. Do you think it's just a coincidence that the Bible over and over again refers to the marriage metaphor to describe God's love for us, Hosea, Ezekiel 16, or Jesus' love for us, Ephesians 5. For us, even though the pictures that we get of marriage are often broken, marriage is the best picture that you and I have this side of eternity of unconditional love. So over and over again, God points us back to the marriage picture to give us maybe the closest feeling that we can, even though it doesn't come close of God's love for us. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He thinks better thoughts and higher thoughts about you than even you do. And if you and I just make this text into a prescription for marriage, then we miss the entire point. Paul uses the marriage metaphor as a symbol to give us a greater glimpse and understanding into God's love for us. Now, I know many of you who walked in the door tonight are struggling with your singleness and you want to be married and you have been pleading with the Lord to bring a spouse into your life for a long time, days, weeks, months, years. I do not want this to sound trite or insensitive, but if you know Christ, you will be married for all of eternity. And you'll experience a closeness and nearness in that relationship with Christ beyond comparison. Unfortunately, evangelicalism often overvalues earthly marriage and undervalues our eternal relationship with Christ. We can't make the same mistake. But back to marriage. Paul's clear. The husband uses his position as leader to radically serve his wife as Christ loved the church. And the wife submits to the sacrificial leadership of her husband. Paul quotes from Genesis 2. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God created marriage in the beginning with the end in mind. It was a millennia-old mystery that was unlocked, that was solved at the cross. God created marriage to be a picture of the gospel. That as a husband and wife love one another, as they submit to one another, they are a reflection of the good news. A symbol, a logo that stands in the place of something we can't see. And that's Jesus' love for us. Now, I believe this is one of the reasons that God cares so deeply about the marriage relationship. Because when a godly marriage is broken, it reflects the gospel inadequately. Now, there is no such thing as a perfect marriage. And every marriage, even the most godly ones, still reflect that love in a way like a broken mirror some of the time. But our standard, our goal, is mirroring the love of Christ within marriage. Now, there are thousands of applications that we could glean from the text. And to do that, I want to invite our panel to join me up on stage. So all six of you can make your way up to the front. Uh, Darren and Becca McDougall, Jared and Amanda Stichter, and Mike and Lori Haight. Let's give the six of them a nice, warm, young adult welcome. This is a little risky because, Jared, last time you were on the stage, what, what happened? We talked about sex and marriage for over an hour. <laughs> you will not make the same mistake tonight. I've been informed. Okay. I'm just, I'm just. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was Brian that told you that, right? No, totally. Okay. Totally, Brian. This time he has someone on stage to slap him. Accountability right here. <laughs> I'm glad that you're sitting next to him and not me, because I don't want to. I don't want to slap Jared. No, that wouldn't end very well for me tomorrow. So, okay. So they are, and they're really warm tonight. I'm like, why well, shouldn't have worn a sweater today? Um, well, here's what I, how I want to start. I just want to take a moment um, for the six of you to introduce yourselves, so that we can get to know you a little bit. Um, and if you could maybe share your name and just share, oh man, a 90 second version. Of your of your story, 
and then we'll, uh, we'll pass the baton to the next couple. 90 seconds. Anyone want to start? I feel like you've got your... Oh, Darren is ready to go. I'll go for okay, it. Okay, go for it. <laughs> All right. I'm going to really put myself on the spot and kind of embarrass myself a little bit. So uh, Alex or whoever's back there, um, we've got a picture to show on the, on the screen from back when we first started dating. Yeah! <laughs> Bring that hair back. I think the only ones that would approve of that would be Pastor Andrew and maybe Brian. Brian says yes. Yeah. He says yes. So, okay, I'm Darren. This is my wife, Becca. Um, we met more, what, about 12 years ago? And Becca was quite young when I met her. So um, I had to, you know, have a, a discussion with her parents, you know, expressing my interest in wanting to uh, pursue her. And so what that looked like was just sitting down with them and just saying that, you know, I want to pursue her um, to hopefully, you know, if, if God would have that for her to become my wife one day. It wasn't that I wanted, you know, a dating relationship with no definitive direction. So um, we dated basically at her family's house um, just so that we weren't out in public and people couldn't say things of us. Um, so we have about, what, a six and a half year uh, difference between us. And so navigating through that was pretty difficult um, just because of what people think, you know, when, they're, when they don't know us really well. So, um, and then uh, we've been married for 10 years, and um, we've had some quite, I guess, quite the adventure. Uh, we've lived in a camper for two years uh, at one point, and yeah, we have a lot of fun. We get along really well. Marriage has been really great for us. No, they're the only couple that sent me wedding pictures, so. I didn't know photos were an option. I, did, I didn't ask, but Darren said, I really want to wow. embarrass myself, so let me. Oh, that was awesome. They didn't know what digital was when we got married. <laughs> How long ago was that, Mike? 40 years. Wow. I feel like that just deserves a round of applause. Um, well, Mike and Lori, why don't you give us a, a snapshot of your story? So Lori and I both grew up in um, very Catholic families. And we actually met when we were, well, I had just finished school and she was just finishing school, but we met at we Dell's Bar. We were 10. Wait. We were 10. You met at we a bar 10. while you were 10. Is that what I just heard? <laughs> that doesn't work, doesn't <laughs> no. no, that doesn't work. No, we work. were nine I don't know because we better, got married but, uh, when we were 10. Okay. Um, so we were married eight or nine years before we actually came to know the Lord. Hmm. And um, I mean, there's a whole long story. It'd take way longer than 90 seconds to get into that. But Lori came to know the Lord before me and left the Catholic church. And that was kind of a problem. And um, needless to say, I came along kicking and screaming. So <laughs> thanks. Uh, we met uh, when we were young and in youth group. I was kind of the non-church kid that showed up to church one night, and Amanda had grown up in the church, and we started dating. We were 15 and 16, and uh, we took a few breaks in there. She got smart for a while and walked away, and then... Uh, they're live streaming. Yeah, her, her parents and I did not always see eye to eye about things. Um, but, it, but honestly, it's, it's uh, one of those incredible stories where... Stopped dating for a while, um, and the whole, you know, like, well, yeah, well, statistically, you're, you're not going to marry your high school sweetheart, no big deal. Well, then, when the Lord allows uh, paths to recross, and you're a little bit older, a little more mature, and um, we ended up reconnecting in college, and um, her parents were gracious enough to be willing to give me a chance to show that I had matured, had grown, and uh, now we've been married for maybe 13 years in February, so, yeah. Awesome. We can clap for that, too. Yeah. I'm happy about it, too, guys. <laughs> we're, we're feeling really affirming tonight, so this is good. Um, before um, maybe a more theological question, why don't you tell us just about your, your family, kids, grandkids, um, what's that look like? Go ahead, Amanda. Um, we have one daughter. Her name's Maddie. She's nine. Um, we adopted our daughter, um, through a domestic adoption at birth. So, and we have too many fur things that are in our house. So <laughs> we have three dogs and a cat. So it's basically a zoo in our house. 
So we have uh, three children. Our, our oldest, Noah, he was adopted because they couldn't tell us if we could have kids or not. Hmm. And then um, Brianna came along 25 months later. And then Mariah came along five and a half years after that. And she's just proof that the rhythm method does not work. <laughs> I, w I would have to ask you to explain that, but I won't. <laughs> oh, Fritz will do that next time he talks, so. <laughs> Remember, Catholic family. <laughs> Lori, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I was going to take the microphone a, for that question, and I probably should have. How about the... <laughs> Well, you can hold it for, I have a, a safe question for you, Gr right. grandchildren. Um, we have three kids, and we have a grandbaby that we're going to get, we hope, on January 7th. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Our first one. <laughs> Having a hard time holding it together after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so we don't have any kids yet. Uh, I do have a lot of plant babies, so that kind of counts, right? Um, I do have 25 nieces and nephews, so I feel like that kind of makes up for not wow. having any kids yet. You know, we babysit and then, you know, okay, bye, go back to mom and dad. So, yeah. Give them lots of sugar and then send them back to mom and dad. That's a lot of Christmas presents, so I'll be a second mortgage We don't for that. give any Christmas presents because okay. well, we would be poor, literally. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No. I would love to hear um, maybe a trial, something hard that you've walked through together as a couple. And then how did the text that we talked through tonight, how did that maybe relate or speak some truth into the trial that you walked through? I can start with that. Um, Mike and I are going to share that answer. Um, Mike and I were very fortunate to grow up with parents that lived um, the verse, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Our parents, both of our parents, really agreed in love with one another and were respectful of one another. Um, and because of that, the first trial, one of the first trials that we experienced, um, I think we wouldn't have gotten through it if it wasn't for having had that heritage from our from our parents yeah so this goes back to when Lori became a Christian and we were um, at church the Catholic Church and she told me that she was done she couldn't come back to the Catholic Church anymore and when the service ended um, I just sat there I don't know how long <laughs> we were there we, we were there for a long time and uh, I just kept thinking about this is, you know, this is, again, we came from very Catholic families, and, you know, for someone to leave the church is a big deal. Hmm. And um, so here's Lori leaving the church, and where did that really leave us? And um, when we did finally leave, I mean, obviously, when I was sitting there, a lot of things went through my head, like... Well, maybe maybe this is the time to end this this marriage, and um, you know there are all kinds of things. That was a real fleeting thing, simply because that was not an option in the Catholic Church or in my family or her family. And so, um, so when we left the church, I felt like we needed to go to church together. We needed to attend church together, but I wasn't going to go to her Chuck Smith church that she was, where she got to, you know, find the Lord from. So we kind of did a Chuck Smith church, but um, we, he used to have this tape service. Many of you probably don't even know what a cassette tape is. <laughs> I find that offensive, Mike. Pre, Pre-CD. <laughs> And uh, he had a tape service. Chuck Smith was from Calvary Chapel in California, and he had a tape service. And so, well, I wasn't going to go to the Calvary church that she was. Um, it was kind of more of a home fellowship, really wasn't a real church yet. 
And um, so what we decided to do was to do these tape, this tape series on Sundays. So we started doing that. And that's how I actually came to know the Lord was from listening to Chuck Smith through his tape series. So the, the thing was is that we decided to do something together, even though she was leaving the church, we, we stuck together and f worked it out. And that I think is something that is missing from marriages today hmm. is they're not willing to stick it out so thanks um for us i guess when we first got married it was difficult to navigate that sacrificial um love and the joyful submission because you're two people used to living one way and you come together and even though we are like-minded in a lot of ways um, it is something that you have to navigate, you know, if the Lord blesses any of you, you know, to get married someday, the, the ones that aren't, um, you know, it is something you'll have to navigate through. And I think um, I definitely had more of a, I would say I wasn't very patient. I didn't throw things or stuff like that. I just, um, I just had a little, I, I was less patient about little disagreements and stuff like that. And I think another one was that, um, when we would have a disagreement, the way my family always handled things was, you know, let's have a family get together and talk about it. And of course, you know, my brothers and I and, and sisters at times would sit there with a scowl on our face on the couch. You know, we didn't want to do it, but that was what we were taught. And I learned that Becca handles, um, you know, disagreements a little bit differently. I think probably it's fair that a lot of women need time to process through things a little bit. And guys always want to, like, solve it right now, right? And so that was me, you know, try to solve it right now. So um, that was definitely a challenge, and I don't know if you have a piece to that you want to add or not. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, like, in the beginning of our marriage, it was really hard for me to, like, joyfully submit. Um, I, I still struggle with it, you know, obviously. Like, I feel like every marriage is not perfect, as you have said. Um, but... During that time, I just, like, I prayed, and I was like, God, like, what's, you know, what's wrong? Like, am I doing something wrong? Like, like, reflect, like, show me what I need to be looking at. And I just feel, I felt the Lord just, like, say, like, look at yourself and, like, what, you know, you need to work on this and this and this. And, like, pray for your husband and just love him and, like, submit to him. And ever since that moment, like, just things changed for, like, so much of the better. Like, my heart was just completely changed for it. It was just such a blessing. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of our little story of our struggle. Yeah. How about, Jared and Amanda, maybe a trial that you guys walked through and then maybe how the text um, informed that? Um, <clears throat> I think we kind of alluded to it in our first answer, but I think the first, like, major trial that we encountered as a couple was walking just through the journey of infertility and um, being totally unprepared just for the weight um, and sorrow that that carried. Um, we are beyond grateful to have our prayers answered and have the beautiful daughter that we have. Um, and we can, you know, it's been years enough now that we can look back and see God's fingerprints in that um, but I, I distinctly remember that moment um, coming home from what really was probably like our last doctor's appointment and looking at each other and just making the commitment, reaffirming to each other that we've seen enough couples that this has completely ripped apart. Mm -hmm. And we could either make the decision to lean into each other and into Christ or let it be the wedge that, that pushed us away from each other. Um, and we made a choice in that moment. Um, and no matter what trials we've encountered, even after that, there's been just that consistency in, um, we know each other well enough that in love, I can go to Jared and say, Hey, you're not okay right now. And it's okay, but how can I help you? Hmm. Or he can step come to me and pull me out of whatever situation I'm in. I tend to like put up blinders and just keep going because I'm a type A person. 
Um, but he'll, he'll do something intentionally to stop my rhythm so that then he can say, I know you're not okay and I know you're avoiding that. So let's, let's talk that through. And I think just having that relationship and decision very early on to lean into each other in those moments and not let it be the thing that drives us apart. We say, the phrase that someone told us in our premarital counseling that we say to each other to this day is, it can either be you and I, like me against you, or us against the world. And we get to choose the perspective that we look at those trials with. Hmm. Uh, the only thing I'd add is we just have been very committed to airing out our own issues with people because we realize, uh, especially with the infertility thing, I was a pastor at that point for a couple of years and we'd never heard anyone talk about infertility. And it's like, okay, we're in our early 20s. So you're supposed to just get married, have kids, and that's it. Well, what happens if that doesn't happen? And so I just, we kind of made it a point, like, we're, this is just going to be a, a chance for us to, as we work through these issues and other things that have come, we just decided one way of accountability for one another to honor one another and to serve one another would be also to have the accountability of, no, 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 we're going to use this as a, a platform to then serve other couples who are in these same situations. And that, that keeps you honest real quick when you realize it's, it's yeah. the accountability not only to one another, but to other people. And it doesn't mean... Not just because we're a ministry couple. I mean, as Christians, and you're married, you're also a ministry couple. So it's it, you know we do this ministry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thanks. So a text like this is it's sometimes hard to apply. What does this look like practically in marriage? Sometimes it's easier to apply for you know for somebody else. But I really want to look in the mirror before we look out the window. So maybe we can do that just transparently as a panel. Um, and we see in our text, there's submission, there's love, there's sacrifice. That exists both directions. There might be a higher call in one. There is a higher call in one than the other. So I'm going to start where Paul starts with uh, the wives. Um, don't worry, Jared. We're, we're coming for you. So, um, what is practically, what is that joyful submission um, looks like uh, within your marriage? So for me, I kind of realized that it kind of came down to knowing that Darren would have my best intentions in mind because, like, he loves me as Christ loves the church, right? Um, and so, like, trusting in that and trusting in his decisions, um, that really allowed me to joyfully submit a lot easier, knowing that he really, truly cares and puts me before himself. I think, um, again, before we got married, we kind of chose to, like, delve into what the definition of that looks like. And I'll admit that I, like, very much struggled. Um, we went to different colleges, and I um, went to a school where a lot of my friends were going into, like, being the main pastor in their churches. And that was very different from what I was raised in. So it caused us to have a lot of conversations because it was just viewpoints that I had never like really encountered before. Um, and one of the things that we talked about was what the term, like what Eve was created to be as um, for Adam, which was, you know, a helper. She created a helper or God created a helper for Adam, but not in the helper of like, go make me a sandwich, which we do joke about often. <laughs> I like mayonnaise. <laughs> he likes Miracle Whip. They are not the same thing. <laughs> but that's that mutual submission. She buys Miracle Whip. Amen. I hope you wrote that down on your handout. That's, that's gold right there. Um. But, I mean, we just, again, chose to look at it for me as Eve was created to be what Adam could not be. And Adam was created for Eve to be what she could not be. And when God places you in a marriage or someday future in the marriage, it's because he made that person to be that what you can't. 
Hmm. You're made to complement each other. Jared has strengths and things that are totally not me and vice versa, and that is okay. So to joyfully submit, while sometimes he makes, he might make decisions for our family that like I don't love, like putting a budget on my shopping or something. Um, I know he has the best intentions of our family in mind. Thank you. If you were here for young adults, here it is. WinterCon, you know that her sugar daddy's TJ Maxx. You know this. Anyways, I'll be done now. So when, when Lori and I were going over this question, um, we thought maybe it was better if each one of us answered for the other one with an example. And, and so, you know, the, the, the willful submission, and I don't know if that's exactly the right word that I would use, but this was the situation. We were married um, probably about six years, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Um, we lived in the Twin Cities. We both had two-year associate degrees from a tech school. And I started going back to school at night at Normdale Community College in Bloomington, Minnesota. And um, over a year or so, um, I really was enjoying school, was going really well, but Lori could sense that I was just really frustrated. And she asked me one night, she goes, what, what is wrong? And I said, ah, this is gonna take forever. I, I really, I really just, I just need to go to school full time. And Lori said, well, what, what does that look like? Now understand, we both had really good jobs in a house. And I said, we need to sell our house, quit our jobs, and I need to go to Stout full time. And there wasn't even a hesitation. She said, okay. Hmm. That, when she did that, I, didn't, I don't even know what to tell you, but to me, that was total submission to what our family needed, not just me, but our family. And she could have easily said, this house is beautiful. We have really nice cars. We have really good jobs. We, we're not lacking anything. And I mean, understand that six years earlier or seven years earlier, or however long it was, when we got married, we had nothing, absolutely nothing. And so for her to just say, yep, let's, let's do it was, incredible. The only other thing I want to add to it, and I'm sorry for adding this, but God honored us with this decision. So we put the house up for sale. It did not sell that year. We had to wait a whole nother year before I could go back to school, a whole nother year before our house sold. During that year, I had the best year of sales I ever had, and we were able to bank in, in our savings account all the tuition money I needed for the whole time I went to Stout. So, so, so that's. Well, since we heard your story about Lori, now we're all itching to hear Lori's story about Mike. Huh. My, my story is a little shorter, but just as important to me um, and huge. I mean, it, it, it's a lifelong decision that Mike made. Once he finished his degree at Stout, he was recruited by Honeywell and got a really good job. Um, and I had an, op an opportunity, or I, I desired the opportunity to stay home with our kids. And Mike was willing to let me do that. And I think he missed out on a lot of, some of the growing up times, some of the cool stories, some things like just not too long ago, there's a song that my daughter wrote for me. and. Um, she, she said, I guess it's not really important what she said in the song. Yeah, it is. is it? Okay. <laughs> she said, remember when you called me mommy and I called you honey. And the whole game was, I just said, she called me mommy and uh, honey and I called her mommy. That's it. That's the whole game. But she was like two and she loved that game. And when she wrote that song and Mike heard it, we were, t he still didn't catch the drift. Um, he didn't know what that meant. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like I heard the song and I didn't really pay it that close attention to it. So like months later, we're sitting around a campfire, Mariah, 
Mariah's not with us. We're at a friend of ours up north at Lake Tomahawk, and, and Lori plays this song for this friend of ours, and she starts to explain this to him. And I'm like starting to like, what? I never knew you played that game. And it just, it kind of crushed me a little because there are so many things that um, sometimes as, as a, the sole provider of a, of a family that you miss out on because you're providing and doing some of that stuff. Um, but it was such a blessing for Lori to be able to do it. And so. You got it. That's the story. <laughs> well, thanks, ladies and Mike. Um, <laughs> so that leaves us with Jared and, Dar Jared and Darren. Um, maybe a practical example or just practically in your marriage, what does that sacrificial servant leadership looks like? Yeah, so I think part of this is, is realizing that it seems as though we take two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back um, in this because there's, at least with our lives, it's just there's there's heavier seasons of, of stressors and, and, and lighter seasons of stressors. It's not always the same time of year, things like that. Um, but I think part of it is 13 years now into marriage, knowing Amanda more today than I have uh, in the past, I, I've learned more and more about things that actually are helpful um, in terms of to refilling her tank. And so even an example for, of, of tonight is just, I got home from the office and she said, wow, I had a full day of meetings and I've, I've talked and talked and talked and, and she's going to be on stage tonight. And then my wife is very introverted. So it's kind of like, dang, so I better be quiet for like the next hour because if I'm not, you guys are going to get like the dead <laughs> Amanda. But so just little things like, okay, knowing her and knowing how she's wired, uh, one of the ways to honor her and serve her is, is to then not um, continue to do what I'd want to do instead. And so things even like when we first got married, realizing some habits I had weren't actually going to benefit our marriage. And so I've never been a big video game guy, but there was one specific game that a group of guys played. And, and, and I thought, well, I want to keep doing that. But I realizing if I do that at the time frame and the day that I want to, that's going to eat up our together time because she goes to bed so early compared to me. And, and just little things like that or like realizing that um, if, if I mess around all day in the office or if I have too many conversations, I will need to then work tonight to catch up, which directly impacts our together time. And so even learning like the best way to serve my wife and to honor her really is to have my crap together in other areas so my marriage can have it together. And realizing earlier on that, that those things actually connect is a really, was a really big deal. And I think the first couple of years, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of strife with that. And, um, and it's gotten progressively better. And I think the other thing too is just um, realizing that as a man, if I don't have some of those guys speaking into me, keeping me accountable, growing, uh, helping me grow in my faith personally, I can't possibly lead her in the home. Um, I can't possibly lead my wife and my daughter in the Lord if I am not prioritizing that relationship. And so once again, uh, you know, Paul talks a little bit about this to the women, a lot of this to the men in Ephesians 5, and a lot of it comes down to I cannot possibly be the man that I'm supposed to be if I'm not pursuing Christ and pursuing accountability outside of my marriage as well. And so those are probably two practical things yeah. that I've learned the hard way. Yeah, thanks. Darren? Do you want to answer for me? Oh, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, go, go for it. You didn't finish your story. You came home. She had a long day. So I just didn't talk a lot at dinner. <laughs> we literally, like, we ran an errand, and he just stood next to me and didn't say anything and then we had dinner and he didn't really say very much and I got in the car and said I really appreciate that you haven't said very much because you know I'm talked out thank you I also got to go look at the ice fishing section at one of my favorite stores in our quiet date it was wonderful <laughs> Well, a lot of the same things that they already touched on, this whole idea from this scripture reading is really selflessness. I mean, it takes two to make that happen, you know, on both sides. 
And for me, I just really try to focus on putting Becca's needs above my own. And I think a lot of people come into marriage a bit selfishly. I know I did. Um, and again, that comes back to what I said earlier about kind of navigating some of these changes of like, you're single, you're dating, you're engaged, and now you're married. And there's, there's a big time, they, they don't make a G GPS for that, let's just say. So, it'd be um, nice if they did. Yeah, it'd be great. Um, so even on the little things, like if there's, I mean, this, this might s seem silly, but if there's like a more desirable, uh, you know, like food left, I'll offer it to her first, you know, and t I'll take whatever's left over. Um, stopping what I'm doing and helping her when I see that she's in need of a hand. And, um, yeah, again, it just comes back to selflessness. And I don't do that perfectly. I wouldn't claim to. But um, God has been gracious to me and has grown me in that. And I truly do feel like, um, like that is a strong part of our marriage. Um, I'm definitely not waving my own flag, but I feel like God has built that over the last 10 years. So very thankful. I can attest for that. Thank you. Thanks for your transparency. Um, so I'm going to ask a question I only want two of you to answer. One, one guy, one gal. Um, and you know that, I don't know what the number would be, maybe 75% of young adults here tonight are not yet married. So what's one thing that um, our unmarried young adults could do now to prepare for a potential marriage down the road? Well, I got the mic, so I'll go. Um, this is not related to the text, but I can't overemphasize the importance of sexual purity. God really blesses that in marriage. And I feel like, you know, I feel like we've been able to harmonize better as a couple because we saved that. And I'm definitely not putting anybody down if that's, you know, been a failure because there is forgiveness and God, you know, there's no sin too big for God to forgive. So, but just wanted to really point that out as a, a really important part of marriage, but also um, serving. Uh, we talked about this earlier. I think it's a platform to really help you become a little more selfless and really understand um, God's purpose of the church. We're, we're a family. We help each other, and we hopefully do it selflessly if that means... Um, putting the church's needs or individual people's needs above our own. So it's a really great platform, and I think you might have had some stuff to add to that. Okay. I, I want to just add on to it a little bit. Go so I'm sorry, but <laughs> serious, when, when, when I saw that question, when I saw that question, you know, you know, God talks about us being the head of the house, you know, and, and, and having to submit to um, wives, submit to their husbands, you know, at the end of the day is we all have to submit to Christ mm. and ultimately to the Father, right? Because even Christ submitted to the Father. Um, but when it comes to this leadership thing, there's something that every one of you can do. It, it's not a, a male or female role. It's, it's simply whether you're married or not married, whether you're at work, whether it's with a group of friends, if, if you want to be a leader, you really need to humble yourself and ask those around you for help in how to make decisions. Or, you know, here's the problem. What ways can we solve this problem? It really would encourage you to do that. Um, I, I can't explain. I can't. <laughs> million times where I've sat down with Lori and said, this is what's going on. This is what I think I'm going to do. And she's like, well, wait a minute. You should think about this and this and this and this. And she has bailed me out of so many things that I would have put myself in such a bad place. Hmm. So I can't encourage I mean, it's something you can work on, not just as you're preparing to get married or as you're looking, but for every one of us, we, we all, we're all, we're all here. Um, utilize each other and respect each other. And um, I think that's helped a lot. Ladies, anything to add to one thing to prepare for marriage? 
Um, I had a, a verse, and this this isn't from our text, but the verse, um, I was thinking about this verse in 1 Corinthians 13. It says about love that it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's not, the, all of those things about love d doesn't have to have anything to do specific to a spouse. It has to do with being a, a Christ follower and a lover of Jesus. Um, practice loving people in those ways. Um, that's a great list. If you like lists, that's a good list. Try to do that. Good. Um, last question. And uh, I feel like practically making decisions as a couple can be hard. And there's probably two polar opposites. One would be the man's the leader, therefore he will make every decision. And then the other opposite is a, I don't know if this is a true story or fake story, but maybe you've heard it before. You know, the husband, after 30 years of marriage, says, you know, I make the big decisions, my wife makes the small decisions, and 30 years, we've never had a big decision in our marriage. <laughs> Those are probably the two extremes. So we don't, we don't want to swing the pendulum either way, because um, I don't think that's, I know that's not what the text has in mind. So how do we... How do we work through a big decision together as a couple, practically? What are some ways you've done that? Fight well. Uh, I, think, I think one of the biggest lies we may have believed early on is if we're fighting, we're failing. And that's just it's kind of ridiculous. Um, God takes two sinners, unites them, and calls it holy. <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. But... Um, and uh, then you mix non-sinful things like your personality, your upbringing, um, the thing, your out outlook, and all of a sudden that adds layers to the thing. So what we realized, I think, is just we just have rules of engagement. There are times when we're going to fight, so let's fight well. And so divorce is not going to be talked about in our home. Um, you know, I grew up in a home where when, uh, when, when my dad left, he left for days so the first time we fought and Amanda left, I thought, well, that was quick. Uh, that, I guess this is how it's going to be. And really, she grew up at home where you go for a drive. We never talked about that. So she walks out the door. I'm like, oh, this is it. She's just doing what she knew to do. And that's take a drive, cool off, and come back home. Um, so just learning the rules of engagement for our family, for our uh, marriage, and, and fighting well. And then that's in the extreme cases. And what happens amazingly is you start to think more and more alike and unity happens. And now we think mostly like we still disagree on things like budgets for shopping trips and how many times you actually need to go fishing. But, um, <laughs> but those become so much more smaller in light of, of marriage. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with just to add to that, that once we realize that fighting well and fighting not even fair, but just fighting respectfully, it wasn't really fighting anymore. And we don't really fight anymore, I don't think. I'll, I mean, we fight, but not like. <laughs> I'm the yeller, he's the listener. We don't, that doesn't really happen all that much anymore. It's pretty rare that we would like raise our voices. No. Um, <laughs> I yelled a lot when we first got married. I'll admit it. I'm not perfect. Um, but I think I the... Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, I think the other thing, though, is, like, as big decisions have come, what we've learned, and this is very hard for me, is that the best thing for us to remove the emotion in the big decision is we need to step away from each other, like speaking to each other about it, unless we need to process something. So find someone else that can process through it, a decision with you well, that's a neutral party, both of you. Pray through it. And when we have truly followed that and then come back together at an agreed upon time to say, what have you been praying about? Tell me what you've been thinking about. Every single time, we say two words and realize the Lord has set us both in the exact same spot in the decision, mm -hmm. and we're 100% at peace. Mm -hmm. When we try and 
figure it out and process it all right away, it becomes a frustration. If we just let the Lord guide it, we always end up at the same spot. Go ahead, Mike. When uh, Lori and I read that question and we started talking about it, you know, the obvious answer is the first thing you do is you pray. And 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 I kind of kind of started laughing because in 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 full disclosure and, and humility, we don't always do that. And I mentioned that to Lori, and she goes, "We we do." And I was like, "We do when it's a really hard decision, and we really have a lot on the line." But there's a lot of day-to-day decisions that we're in 100% agreement on how to handle it, and we just do it. We don't pray about it. We don't ask God, what should we do? And I think that was, for us, actually, you know, this week, learned that we need to be more open to praying to him, even about the things that we're in agreement on. So at our house, we don't don't ever fight. We have discussions. So... And they're generally not very heated, um, sometimes a little bit heated, but um, not very often. And the other thing is we never would do it where the kids would ever see us not in 100% agreement on something. Um, interesting thing is, is uh, we learned that, just like Amanda was saying, is you need to, you need to back off and separate for a little while and it's interesting is over the over the years we do that and we come back together and we'll have changed each other's mind so then we just sit there and laugh and then (laughs) then we start all over again (laughs) but but it's all good it's it's a lot easier than it was the first two years of our marriage was really tough because kind of what what uh, darren was talking about was it's kind of hard taking two new personalities and yeah. kind of the first yeah. couple of years were rough, but. You know, I feel like I could keep asking questions uh, for the next, you know, hour, but we're already four minutes over when I said, I'm for sure going to be done by this time. <laughs> um, so that probably is, uh, means that I should probably stop asking questions and we should probably thank our panel for sharing tonight. You don't have to go anywhere. Mike, I'm going to have you uh, cl- uh, close us in prayer, if that'd be okay. And then um, I'll just provide uh, some quick instructions for our small groups. So go ahead, Mike. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for um, this evening. We thank you for everyone that's here. We thank you for Sam and his heart for sharing you with all of us to help us to become better people, to be better Christians. Um, I really thank you for Sam and his ability to not make it easy. And what I mean by that is sometimes your word is is hard because we have stuff that we have to deal with in our life. And I just really appreciate that. And I just thank you that through all these years that I've been involved in this, I've grown so much. Um, I I just thank you for that. I just thank you for this panel this evening, and I just pray that um, everyone in this room will take away some of the things that were said and that we will all um, grow together in our relationships with each other, with our spouses, and that those would grow together with you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.